this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, as you can see, things are a little different up here this morning, right? We are, are the couches not right? (laughs) We have been talking about evangelism for weeks now, right? How to take ground, spiritually speaking, from the enemy. We started off a few weeks ago talking about our own stories, right? How to share your testimony, how to um, really share the most powerful gospel message that you have, which is your story, right? Well, I have been sort of collecting these stories over the past few weeks. Uh, I, I know that each of you have one, right? Every single believer has a story of how Jesus has redeemed their life and made it brand new, right? Everybody has one, whether you think you do or not. I'm one of the, those people that thought that I didn't have a good testimony anyway for a long time because I grew up in the church. I never had like a period where I didn't know Jesus. I was like, what, what story could I possibly share? It's not like I was a drug dealer and then... Jesus set me free, right? I thought I didn't have one. Because I mentioned it, I guess I should tell just a piece of mine. The amazing thing about growing up in the church is the blessings on your life. Couldn't see that at the time, right? But now I can look back and see all the mistakes that I I avoided because of Jesus, all of the big pitfalls in life that I avoided because of Jesus, and the amazing blessings that I enjoy now because of him and walking so closely with him as a young person. That's what I hope for our kids and youth growing up in this church. I hope that we can teach them to walk closely with Jesus and to have that that story too, right? That is the power of my testimony. Now, that's not to say I don't have things that Jesus has brought me through, because I absolutely do. So much fear, anxiety, stuff from my childhood and teenage years that God brought me out of, right? But you see those as you go on. We're collecting these powerful stories, and so many of you have them, uh, but I did ask a few people to specifically share theirs with us today. This isn't something we've ever done at Freedom Valley, but I'm really excited about it. Are you guys excited? You all liked the Q&A that we did a few weeks ago so much, uh, and I did too, and I just thought it would be cool to share with you some other stories. So I invited a few people to join me today. How it's going to work is I'm going to invite three at a time to come and fill these couches, uh, and we're just going to pass the mic down the line and, and have them share their story with you. Uh, these stories range from salvation stories. Some of them are healing Some of them are deliverance. Some of them are Holy Spirit baptisms, uh, prayers answered, or some of them are a little bit of all of it, (laughs) okay? Uh, It's amazing how God works. They're all powerful. They're unique and individual, which is such a beautiful thing, right? God deals with us so uniquely and individually. I often want to systemize it, right? I I want to put a, a pathway to, like, you do this, and then you do this, and then you, do, you get saved, you get baptized, and you move right, but that's not always how it works. God meets us where we're at, right, and takes us on a journey, and so see, these stories are as unique as the individuals telling them, and I'm so excited to share them with you today. It's my hope that your takeaway from today is uh, faith building, 
you walk out of here with the highest faith level that you've ever had because you can see it working in people's lives. That Hearing these stories will encourage you maybe to write your own testimony if that's not something that you've done yet. Um, or maybe start praying for something that you didn't even know was possible before, right? Uh, maybe you walk out of here feeling like it's not so impossible to believe anymore. I hope that you build your faith. So are you ready to hear some testimonies? Yes? All right. We really have to cheer these guys on because I often forget how intimidating this stage and microphone is. <laughs> Which is on a testimony in and of itself that I forget that. But uh, I often forget. So we're going we're gonna to have three up at a time. We'll cheer them on afterward and then we'll have another three. I'm going to first call Katie Bragg. Come and join me on the couch. Jasmine Salazar and Charlie Salazar. Come on up and join me. <laughs> Where, yeah, Katie can come sit with me. We'll let Jasmine and Charlie be on the couch together over there. All right, so Katie has a story of salvation to share with us, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. You tell us. How about I think that? it's a little bit of everything. All right, good. You know, I have to excuse me. I'm going to have to read this because I tend to fumble and lose track of what I'm doing. So. I will say, all of you, as you're speaking, try to hold the mic as closely to your okay. mouth as possible. Okay. Thank you. For Christmas you're sake. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Candace asked us three questions a few weeks ago. Who were you before Jesus, and what made me think and decide about giving my life to him? Well, um, and how our life has changed, my life has changed, and everybody around me's life has changed. I was a lost soul who earned, yearned for peace and happiness, and I often thought, is it all worth it? And it was always in the back of my mind, but in my weird way of thinking, I thought the guilt of doing myself harm would hurt my family, and that would follow me in death, and I would never find peace. I had endured pain that no young person should go through and turned to drugs and alcohol. And I went through life pretty much numb, but amazingly, I was able to hide a lot of this from family, friends, and work. I was pretty much a functioning substance abuser. And I functioned about 40 years like that. <laughs> about four years ago, work was not going well. I had a heart attack, and I lost pretty much everything I had in a house fire. I started having those bad thoughts again, and I had been thinking about God for a while and trying to make sense of everything. My dad had turned to the Lord in his later years, and it changed him in so many ways. So one spring day, I'm on my way to Walmart on a Sunday, and I... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Uh, um, 
I was on my way to Walmart one Sunday morning and I saw the Freedom Valley billboard. The next thing I knew, I'm turning into the parking lot. The first people I met here were the Livelsburgers. They were at the help desk and were so kind and welcomed me with open arms. What an experience, from the music to the word that Candace spoke. I felt a rush of warmth and tears and just, just an overwhelming sense of belonging. I hadn't felt that at peace in years. I left that morning with a sense of calmness and hope and I have been attending and volunteering ever since. So thank you. How's, how has my life changed? So many ways. I am more at peace in the world around me and with my life, past and present. My substance abuse has gone by the wayside. I struggle at times understanding my faith especially when things aren't going well. But I now have the strength to fight the demons that try to take hold. I have a ways to go, but I will not give up. And if you've known me in the past, I had a tendency to give up. <laughs> I call myself a work in progress. Yes. So. Amen. So. How long has it been again since you started coming? Four years. Four years. Yeah. And I was baptized three, three and a half years ago, four years, or three, yeah, somewhere in there. It's awesome. So. If there's one thing you could encourage everyone with here today, what would that be? Well, um, you know, I fought letting the Lord into my life for years even when I knew he was with me. And I know there's people here like me that struggle. And sometimes you think it's too much work or it's just, is it worth it or whatever. But don't give up. Mm -hmm. Keep on going. And uh, think about when the Lord entered your life, how your life changed. And... Um, you know, just work with it. Believe in God, trust in God, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, good. Turns all things into good, right? Can you reach over to Jasmine? All right, this is Jasmine and Charlie. Jasmine, tell us your story first. Okay, hey guys. <laughs> um, okay, hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Jasmine Salazar, and so... I would say that um, my story began with rejection. So, um, I cry a lot, guys. <laughs> um, so, my mom, thank you. My mom got pregnant with me at um, 15, and uh, my biological father wanted her to abort me, so he didn't want anything to do with me. And so my mom had to um, run away to her family's house to have me. Thank you, mom. And so, uh, my mom remarried, everything was good for a while. I would say that my childhood was full of um, addiction and abuse. And so that kind of forced me to have to grow up very quickly. Um, 
and I, I got really good at um, putting a front up in front of the world. So I was a really good student. I was a great athlete. And to the outside world, you would never know, you know, what was going on in my house. We had a saying in our house, what happens in this house stays in this house. I'm sure you guys have heard that before. And so um, with that, I got very good at manipulating, lying, and I was full of anger and rage um, within. And so I kind of picked up everybody's burdens as I went along because that was my job. Everybody else was falling apart. I couldn't do that. And so at um, 16, I remember I was in my room. I put a gospel record on, and I just got on my knees, and I said, God, help me, because uh, it's hard. I can't do this, you know? And so I accepted Christ in my life that day. But as I went throughout life, I kind of had one foot in the world and one foot in church, and I was just desperate for that love and attention. And I would, if you showed me love, I was yours, you know? And uh, that led to a lot of heartache and not a good track for me. And, um, you know, I kept going along. I met my husband. I had kids. And I had essentially, like, what I was looking for, right? The love that I was looking for, or so I thought I had it. But I was so depressed. There was something missing in my life. Um, I would say um, it got pretty dark pretty quickly. Um, there was times I couldn't get out of my bed. Uh, Again, I had that mask on, right? So when I came here, you guys didn't know. Like, I'm laughing, I'm joking and stuff. But at home, I, I literally couldn't get out of my bed. And there was one time Charlie came home, and that whole day I'd spent the whole day in my bed. I only got up to feed the kids, and I'd just cry the whole day. And he turned on the lights, and he said, babe, you know, get up. You got to do stuff. And I was like, I can't. I can't do it. And I remember telling him, like, I keep praying to God that he just takes me because life is too hard, and I don't want to do it anymore, and it's too heavy. And uh, Q, Mike, and Jody, um, about a year ago, they started doing deliverance, and I wanted to help. And I was still kind of had this to the wayside. No one knew I was dealing with this stuff. And so I said, hey, can you guys give me a checkup? Because I want to help you, but I don't want to bite nobody's demons looking at me saying, I'm in you too, sis. And so <laughs> um, I said, let's do a... Let's do a checkup. And so that day, uh, I remember I was in the shower and I kept hearing what I thought was my voice telling me, don't, don't do this. You don't need to do this. Um, you're wasting everybody's time. Let's just go hang out. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And so these people are my people. Um, I see them all the time. They're, they were my maid of honor, um, Charlie's best man. And so that day we went to go see them. I remember I couldn't even look them in the eye um, I couldn't even hug them. I wanted to physically run out of the room. And that's not me. That's not me at all. And so that day I was delivered. I was delivered from depression. I was delivered from rage and anger. I was delivered from um, feeling um, worthless, right? And I didn't even know it, God. I didn't even know I was depressed. I thought that that was just how life was supposed to be. Like, you know, God gave me that love. I should be fine. So that day I was delivered from that. And I remember walking out of there and I was like, colors are different, right? Uh, breathing is different. What is going on? Like, this is crazy. And so at first I thought, oh, this is, you know, weird. I'm probably making this stuff up, but I can tell you a year later, um, it's true. I was delivered from all those things. And now I know, you know, God does have a plan for you. And uh, he does not want you to be depressed and uh, feel lonely 
Um, and he is the ultimate love, but you have to surrender it all to God. You can't have your little boxes hidden, you know? You literally have to lay it at his feet. And once I did that, man, I understand now when people say, like, God is my redeemer. He redeemed me. He saved me from a dark place. And I don't even know if I would be here today if it wasn't for that. So thank you, God. Yeah, praise God. That was not a good one. So you did kind of say it, but if there's one thing you can encourage everyone with um i would just you know piggyback off of what i said and just you know anything that you have hidden give it to god because he wants to rescue you but you have to surrender it first like he was there he was there for me my whole life essentially he brought me through so much but until i actually gave him those things um he wasn't actually able to run in that room and shed light on those darkest places so whatever you're hiding bring it on out yeah so good amen all right, Charlie. All right. Um, well, my name is Charlie. Uh, my wife, Jasmine, obviously. Um, so when Candace approached me about doing this testimony, you know, I, I never really, really thought it through, like, just from beginning to end, you know, everything that I've been through. And, you know, the more I started thinking about it and talking to my wife about it, you know, I realized, like, there's so much there, so many details, so many things that I've been through. And just to save you guys time, if I sat up here and said every detail, we'd be here all day. And I know my wife tells me I can be a storyteller sometimes. And again, I don't want to bore you guys. So today I want to just focus more on my deliverance testimony uh, because I feel like it's so powerful. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was life-changing, you know, for the first time feeling God's presence on my life. It, 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 I knew from that moment I, I could never go back to my old ways. Um, so kind of starting off, you know, from my wife's testimony, you know, I sat in that room the day she got delivered. And before that, you know, I, I was learning through, you know, a quick shout out to my brother and sister-in-law, Jody, because they've been such a blessing in, in our lives. And obviously you're just reaching out, you know, helping, helping other families, ministering to so many families. Um, and, and again, they just been a huge blessing in our life. So, you know, that day that I, I saw my wife, uh, go through that deliverance, it, it hit me. I realized we are fighting a spiritual warfare, and whether we realize it or not, sometimes we do things and we, we don't see the spiritual side of it. And so for me, everything became real that day. I said, wow, this, this explains a lot. You know, this explains the depression she was going through. This explains the rate, all those things. And so for me, it became real that day. And as I'm sitting through that deliverance, myself, I started feeling uneasy. It's probably the, the things inside me, right, that were getting triggered. They were, you know, as they're um, praying these powerful prayers, letting the Holy Spirit flow, I'm sitting there uneasy, you know, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. And after they were done, I remember telling my brother and sister-in-law, I said, guys, I, I think I need this for myself too. And so that's where the journey kind of began because, you know, it, it took a while for me to finally, you know, give in and say, okay, guys, like, I, I, I need this done. I want to go through this. I, I know I'm dealing with things. And you know, I remember my wife kind of, she would nag me a little bit. She was like, babe, you're going to get deliverance done? And, and, and it just seemed like, you know, I would always come up with excuses. I would always, you know, and it's crazy because I was literally a phone call away. I could say, bro, just come over and come pray for me right now. Like, I need it. But it, it's like the enemy had, had, a, had a hold of me and, and would use thoughts against me and just kind of keep me in that dark place, though, and I didn't even realize it. So I just kept making excuses. I kept putting it off literally almost a year later. Um, and so this is where the, test, the deliverance part comes in. Um, so this was back in September. Um, I had taken off a, a Friday off work, just, you know, no plans or anything special. And I remember my brother reached out to me and said, hey, um, 
I, I was thinking of going to see this uh, deliverance minister called Isaiah Saldivar, um, really powerful minister in, in this deliverance. And, um, you know, it, it kind of clicked, and I said, man, I think this is my time. I think, I think this is God's calling on me, telling me, you know, hey, this is, this is your time. Just, just go with it. And so I said, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. And um, it was in Jersey, actually. We had to drive about three, three and a half, four hours. And, and so I remember that day came. It was a Friday. And the first thing I did in the morning, you know, I woke up, and I, I'm praying to God, and I'm saying, God, if, 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 if this is what you want from me, I'm going to surrender everything today. I'm believing you're going to do something big in my life today. And I just remember just, just kept praying that all day. And, um, you know, so as we're, as we're heading up there about half hour uh, from the church, um, we stop at this gas station. And um, actually the day before, I, I decided I was going to fast, you know, just began. Just, I just wanted to align myself and, and get in that position of surrendering. And uh, so I was fasting, and the thing about me, you can ask my wife, if I don't eat for a while, I'll get, you know, grumpy, I'll start getting headaches. And so, <laughs> so we stopped at this gas station, and, and again, we're about a half hour away from the church, and at this point, I am starting to get hungry. I'm like, like I, I feel a headache start knocking at the door a little bit, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just in case, uh, I'm gonna get a little pack of muffins and... Um, bottle of Excedrin. I said, I'm not going to take it, but I'm going to get it just in case. So I bought it, left it in the car. We get to the church. Um, when we pull up, there's, there's a line wrapping around this church, and, and it was just amazing to see so many people from, from states away, like all over, um, just, just coming just to, you know, I feel like everyone was there, you know, to see God that day. Um, and so, you know, we, we get inside and had a beautiful worship set. And as I'm sitting there, um, I start having these thoughts, you know, kind of how my wife said, like the day of the deliverance, you know, I start having these thoughts like, why, why did you drive out here? Why, why are you even bothering wasting your time? This, this isn't going to work for you. You're not going to get free today. And I knew it was the enemy trying to, trying, to, again, trying to get in my mind and trying to play his tricks on me. But again, I had to take my thoughts captive. I had to say, no, like I'm here for a purpose. I'm believing God's going to do something. And so the, the sermon was, I mean, it was a fire message. Um, and... At the end of it, um, you know, Isaiah, he, he said, okay, we're going to open up the altars, and anybody's here, you know, for healing, uh, seeking deliverance, just prayer, you know, make your way up. And I remember in that moment, um, you know, there was a lot of times, even sitting here in Freedom Valley, where we would have these altar calls, and I always felt like a tug on my heart, I always felt led to go up. I just couldn't, I couldn't make myself, you know, just something was always holding me back. But this time was different, you know. It was as soon as they opened up that, that altar call. I mean, you asked my brother. I remember I was, like, scooting through the aisle. Like, I was like, I need to get up there, like, as fast as I could. I was so desperate. Um, and it's crazy. Like, as, as I'm making my way up there, I just see, like, a wave. Just, it felt like the whole church was literally trying to get up to the front. And, and so I make my way up. And I just wanted to get as close to the altar, up to the stage as I could. And at that point, I just seen, like, just flocks of people here. And I'm getting closer, and I see this little opening, and there was a lady just standing there, and like we locked eyes, and she kind of waved me over, and then uh, she's, you know, I go over, and she kneels down, she says, um, "Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life?" And I said, "Yes." She's like, "Okay." Um, she's like, "Do you need prayer?" I said, "Yes, I do." And so, this is where just everything just—it seemed like it went by so fast, but. So she starts praying over, she puts her hands on my head, starts praying over me. 
And in that moment, I just feel this overwhelming, like, all the stuff that I was carrying throughout all the years, and I just broke down crying. I was weeping. I couldn't explain it. And the next thing you know, as she's praying over me, I start screaming. I start yelling out. And I didn't realize what was happening at first. And I'm like, why? In my head, I'm like, why is this happening? But I, it's like I couldn't control it. And then I realized, like, it was, it was a form of manifestation. You know, I was screaming out. And so as this lady's praying over me, um, at one point she starts speaking, over, speaking um, in tongues and praying over me. And I had my eyes closed the whole time. And the only way I can describe it is, even if you close your eyes right now, you can still see light coming through. Well, in that moment, I had my eyes closed and I can feel the room getting darker and darker, and I couldn't explain it, and it, and it, felt, it felt so real, it felt like I, I felt fear coming in, and I couldn't explain what was happening. The room got dark, and then next thing you know, I start feeling this tug on my side, and as she still continued praying over me, I, I feel something detach from me and leave my body, and I was like, what was that? You know, what is, what is happening? And so immediately after, I start, feeling like a burning sensation of a fire, like starting from my head the whole way down to my feet. And I realized I'm being baptized in the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so I'm just there in awe, you know, just reflecting on everything and just realizing in that moment that everything that I've been, that I did wrong in my life, all my past sins and everything, it, it didn't matter at that point because God was renewing me. He was restoring me. And so as I feel this this, the Holy Spirit come over me, the, that, that, that baptism, right, of the Holy Spirit. I remember I was such in awe that I dropped to my knees, and I, I just remember putting my hands out like this. And as I'm, I'm putting my hands out, every time I tell this testimony, the best way I can describe it just felt like, like fireballs in my hands. Like there was like a, literally a burning sensation in both my palms, and I was trying to like lift my hands up, and I couldn't. And I just said, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm going to stay here. You know, I'm just going to you know, take it all in. And so, yeah, it, it, for, for me, that was like the first moment in my life where I felt like a tangible presence like of God, like it, the Holy Spirit was really just working in me and, and felt that fire. So I finally come out of that moment, and then, you know, I'm sitting there worshiping like I've never worshiped before, because again, I, I just going through that, I'm like, God, I know you're real now. Like, I know you're in my life. I know you have a purpose for my life. I'm sitting there worshiping, and he brings a memory to my mind of this experience I had years ago, which I had completely forgot about, but I was at Ross here in Hanover one time just doing a little shopping, and uh, there was this man who was kind of following me around in the store, and at one point, you know, he picked up a pair of shoes and came over and asked me, and he's like, hey, what do you think of these shoes? And I just, you know, yeah, they're nice. Just started conversating, and one thing led to another. We're talking about faith in God and, and his, you know, um, his belief, and he was a Christian as well, and he asked me what church I was going to and stuff. And I just remember he had a prophetic word that really stood out to me, but I just, I didn't understand at the moment. But he said, he just stared at me for a little bit. And he said, you know, I, f I feel like God has a calling in your life. I, I feel like you're going to do like great things for God's kingdom. But before you get to that point, there's going to be a moment where you're on your knees surrendering it all to God. And I didn't understand that in a moment because I'm like, well, what's that mean? I, like if I'm living for God, what would what, what I have to surrender? But God was telling me, he was confirming me that, this was my moment of surrendering, surrendering it all to him and, and turning away from, from every, like my past life. Um, and so it was, it was such a powerful moment. You know, I remember when I was done, 
Uh, my brother was kind of in the back, but I, I remember running up to him. I gave him the biggest hug. I was bowling. And, and he's like, bro, what's wrong? I said, and I, I said, bro, God, just deliver me. But the way I said, I couldn't make the words out. And he's like, do you need prayer? I said, no, 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 God delivered me. He's like, okay, bro. And we just kept hugging, crying, both of us. It was such a powerful moment. Um, but real quick, I just want to end. It's crazy, like, God's timing, right? Like, sometimes we feel so far from him, and we feel we're, we're unworthy. Um, but the thing is, when you're ready to surrender to him and allow him in your heart and your life, like, he is gonna, he's going to do miraculous. He's going to work radically in your life. And for me, it took that desperation. I, it, it, although I kept making excuses and putting it off, I, I finally said, you know what, like, I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to, you know, lay everything down. Um, but yeah, and uh, just a crazy little side note, um, for those who don't know, me and my brother were born in New Jersey. Um, and it's just crazy to see 30-some years later how God works, right? Here we both were hours away from our home church and our home and it's just crazy how God lines things up, you know. Here we were, and, and everything that God has been pouring out in his life, now I'm seeing the fruit of it in my life, and I'm getting delivered from all kinds of things, you know. And So that's it, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Such a good story. If you could encourage everybody with one thing, what would that be? Um, yeah, I would say um, one thing that the season I'm in right now and that I'm learning um, is just, really just take a step of faith out and um, take a step out of faith is what I meant to say and just just trust in God and just allow him in and you're just going to see him move in your life like you've never before like there's been so many times where I held back and I was only doing myself harm and I like just keeping myself from that relationship that I could have had before years ago um, so yeah just just trust in him and um, you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life when you allow him in Amen. Amen. Thank you all. So powerful. Good to hear from you. Let's go ahead and give them a hand. And we're going to call. I'll take the microphone. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Chelsea, Eric, and Lindsay next. Come on up. I should just brag on the three of them that were just up here, by the way. Every single one of them is involved somewhere around here serving. They're giving back. Of, of all those things you just heard, God giving them, they're giving back. Using their gifts and talents. They're artists or kids ministers or serving in the cafe. They're, they're all using what God has given them in the church somehow. And I was just looking at them sitting here thinking, and these guys are the same also all using their gifts and talents, but just looking at them thinking, uh, we're blessed. Blessed to have all of the things that God has poured into us now pouring back into others. It's, it's an amazing thing. All right, Chelsea, you're in the hot seat. You're up first. <laughs> okay. To start? Yeah, tell us your story. Okay, um, there's so many, really. Um, but I feel it, actually, like, when I asked Chelsea to share her story, she said, which one? So. True. <laughs> but I feel like this one's the, I don't want to say the most important because they're all important, but probably the most important because it got me here. Um, I'm already going to cry. <laughs> I got a napkin. I came prepared. <laughs> um, so... I don't know, a lot of you probably don't know, my husband, um, his name is Don. So Don and I uh, 
moved up here, I guess 2015. Um, we were okay in the beginning, and then we started to struggle um, pretty bad. There was times where we had like $9, and um, he had a lot of credit issues, and uh, one day we got a notice in the mail that they were gonna start garnishing his wages. It was like $193 um, a week. And that was like, I was like, where is that coming from? Like, we don't even have enough to get by now. So I broke down, I uh, got in the shower and just lost it. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, got it, you say, give you our problems, I'm giving them to you because I don't know what to do. I can't do it. I can't, you know, we, we don't have enough now. I don't, I don't know what else to do. So I, I said, uh, if you make this go away, I'll go to church. I'll take my kids to church, take my whole family. And I'll be darned. <laughs> If, like, three or four days later, we didn't get another notice in the mail signed by a judge that it was being dismissed. <laughs> and uh, it still took me a while to get here. Um, I guess maybe, maybe a month. But um, my first time here was Easter 2019. I got baptized on April 28th, 2019, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. She came to Bold and Brave for a while and asked the best questions. The best questions. <laughs> my they always thing. had nothing to do with the lesson, though. Nothing. No, nothing. <laughs> but they were the best questions. Yeah, so financial delivery, God delivered you financially. And through that, you saw salvation. So what's one thing you would encourage the church with today? Um, I feel like all of them, um, including mine, come back to trust. Mm -hmm. um, trust him. Um, don't let the, the doubts that try to creep in get you down because they'll take you down a road you don't want to go down. Don't listen to them. Trust in the Lord and he will provide, he will get you through it, he will comfort you, he will, you know, do whatever it is that you need if you trust him. Get Just lay it all down, give it to him. You know, he, he, he already knows. He already knows, so it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you. Good story, isn't it? <laughs> all right, Lindsay, tell us your story. Okay, I'm also going to read mine because I can't remember anything on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, depressed, resentful, and unforgiving. These are the words that described me before I met Jesus. Throughout my childhood, I endured extensive mental trauma and some sexual abuse. When my biological father passed away, I guess I was looking for some sort of closure. So to find it, I had my tarot cards read to me by a known witch in the area. During that visit, I bought a crystal from her shop and I kept it in my car for protection. I also dabbled in witchcraft myself by using the Ouija board a few times. 
All of these things, including the trauma, were doors that were opened up to the demonic realm. After high school, I moved to Kentucky for a few years. During that time, I was going to strip clubs, I was drinking excessively, and I was doing drugs. These were also doors that were opened. I wound up in a very toxic relationship that slowly became dangerous. I went from being depressed to being suicidal. Those suicidal thoughts kept escalating, and I found myself on the floor crying out to a God I barely believed in for help. I didn't want to die, but I didn't know how to live either. In that cry for help, everything changed. The suicidal thoughts calmed. I was able to get up off the floor and get to bed. Shortly after that night, I ended up leaving that relationship, and I moved back home to Pennsylvania, where my sister eventually talked me into coming to Freedom Valley. I believed in God at the time, like I said, but I didn't know him. I didn't understand the extent of what Jesus did for me on the cross. After coming to a few services in 2019, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at an altar call. I think it was the same weekend that, we, that you got saved. I think I got saved too. Um, in that moment, the depression that I had since my early teens seemed to have just left me, and I haven't taken any medication for it since. The next year or two were filled with blessings. My now husband and I bought a house and got married in 2020, and then in 2021, by the mercy and grace of God, we found out we were having a baby. Later that year, my journey through deliverance started. I had experienced a good amount of paranormal activity before. Um, I thought that it was something that everyone dealt with, especially living around Gettysburg. It's something that's almost normalized. I started having dreams that demons were attacking me. In these dreams, I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, and I couldn't say the name of Jesus. I would wake up sweating, overtaken by fear, and feeling like these things were in my room watching me at night. I reached out to Pastor Candace, and she got me in touch with Mike and Jody, the deliverance team at Freedom Valley. Throughout that year, I went through a long process of deliverance. The dreams went away, and I was freed of many other things I didn't even know I was in bondage to. In July 2022, my husband and I attended a revival event hosted by a pastor that we follow online. During this event, they did a mass deliverance portion. They started calling out the spirits, and I started to manifest. The lady praying over me got a word of knowledge that I was hanging on to some unforgiveness, and she even named correctly who it was towards. I didn't even know this woman, and she named the people, and I was like, oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> um, I thought I had forgiven these people from my past, but I always struggled with feeling the forgiveness that I was claiming. Once again, I spoke out loud that I forgave these people, and I repented of the unforgiveness that I had in my heart. The demonic spirits then came up and out of me. Immediately after I was freed, I received peace, and I started to speak in tongues. Without Jesus, I'm not sure I'd be alive, and if I would be alive, I'd be living in anger, resentment, and depression. I'd still be partying and doing drugs, and I wouldn't know what true happiness and peace feel like. I'm still and always will be a work in progress, but I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done in my life, and I can't wait to see what else he has in store for me and my family.
This entire journey has given me a whole new desire to see other people come to know Jesus and to be set free too. And if there's one thing that I could tell people, it's that no matter what you've done, no matter how awful you think it is, you are never too far from God. He loves you and he wants to bring you out of whatever you're going through. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how awful you think it is. You think you can't be forgiven. You are forgiven. Um, you just have to let him. Thank you. So good. Thank you, Lindsay. Aren't these good? Are you feeling encouraged today? Eric, give us one more. <laughs> What's your story? Oh, I have questions for you, yeah. don't I? What were you like before becoming a believer, Eric? Well, before becoming a believer, um, I was becoming who the world, or who I thought the world was blaming me to be. Um, outside of my home, I hadn't really experienced people who like genuinely cared about me, genuinely showed love. Um, and I was getting blamed for stuff that I wasn't doing, so I figured I'm getting in trouble for it. I'm going to just start doing it. Yeah. So I started becoming an angry kid and started doing the stuff that I was blamed for. And uh, that lack of care that I experienced from people also, my family experienced that from our pastor at the time uh, because he was supposed to officiate my great-grandmother's wedding and he forgot to show up. So that's just a little story of me before Christianity and I wouldn't have even thought about helping people um, just because I didn't feel like people cared about me so I didn't care about helping anyone. Yeah so what made you decide to give your life to Jesus? Well my parents took me out of public school because that was one of my biggest issues and I started coming to the school that's here uh, the beginning of the 2004 school year um, December, I think, my cousin invited me to the youth group here. And uh, there was like a genuine care from people. Um, it was like a, this, the people that worked here and the volunteers, it was like a, a family, a family environment even all the way back then. Um, but I was the poor person then that told him to shut up because I thought it was weird that <laughs> People actually outside of my home cared for me. Yeah. And then uh, I just felt the urge to come back uh, the following week and then the week after that and 18 years later. <laughs> Here you are. Yes. <laughs> so how did life change after beginning to serve the church? Well, I started serving because I just stayed after school in between uh, school and youth, and I was bored. But as I continued doing it, it was less out of boredom and more because I was enjoying it. I like seeing the results of what I helped put together. Yeah. You had a major life event happen around Christmas of 2017. Tell us a little about that. All right, so around Christmas 2017, I don't even remember what it started with. I had like a, a UTI, then it moved to a little stomach bug, then something else, then it moved to what eventually became double pneumonia. Um, I was actually on my way, 
and I didn't realize it was double pneumonia at the time. I was on my way here to church to set up the sanctuary, and I told my grandmother that I couldn't, I needed to just go to the hospital. And they put me in, and they figured that I had double pneumonia. And uh, it was January... It was January 19th or 21st when I went to the hospital. And that night, uh, the nurses found me unresponsive in my hospital room. Uh, they don't know how long I was unresponsive. I'd, but um, they emergency airlifted me to the York Hospital. And the doctors were not giving my family any hope. They were telling them to prepare funeral. Um, so, yeah, um, I was in a medically induced coma then. They placed a trach. Uh, the doctors still weren't giving my family hope. But then um, about a week later, I would say, I came to. I woke up. Uh, I, I didn't really know what was going on still, but I was awake. So, and then like every step of the way after that, I was further than what the doctors said I should be. Um, the doctors said I wasn't gonna make it. God pulled me through. I was on my deathbed, literally. God pulled me through. Then the doctor said um, it would be years till I'm able to fully walk again and function. And I was ready to go to the Fox Subacute um, living uh, live-in therapy place a month later. Doctors were saying that I'd have to be there for almost a year, and I was out of there and back home in a month. So I went from my deathbed to fully functioning again in two months. Um, the doctors said I would need to be on oxygen the rest of my life. I got rid of the oxygen tank, I think, December of that year. And same with the ventilator at night. I... I quit using that when I got home because I couldn't, I, and I did fine. So every step of the way, God pulled me through it. We, as everybody praying for him during that time. I mean, literally every time I walked through the door, somebody was saying, we need to pray for Eric, we need to pray for Eric. We were praying that entire time, and it was just amazing to see. And I felt that, and I appreciate it, and my family does too. Why do you think God saves you? Well, I always tell people that me going through this was a blessing in disguise because it was a slap in the face I needed, first of all, to get healthy. Um, and I'm, I'm still a work in progress with that, but I was very overweight, and now I've dropped a whole person in weight. Um, and, yeah, and it's... A, he pulled me through it, so I have a story to tell that I can hopefully help other people that are going through crap. Yeah, absolutely. If there's one thing you could encourage the church with today, what would that be? God pulled me through from my deathbed. He can pull you through whatever you're going through, too. So good. So good. Let's give these guys a hand. We'll let them... Sit down. We have one more group for you all. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Kimberly and Bubba Grimm, Natalie Ramirez, and Abby Tompkins, would you guys make your way? 
up here. I should say, too, to add to Eric's story, he's, you guys don't know this probably, he sets up these chairs, like, how many times a week, Eric? Do you mess with these? Twice? At least twice, I would say. Can you all fit on that couch? He, <laughs> we can pull up another chair if we need to. But he serves around here constantly. He's constantly moving things for me, constantly using the life that God gave him to serve you all and never asked for any credit for that ever. Oh, just absolutely amazing what he's doing. All right, Abby, Bear tell us your story. Bear with me, I'm going to read this. I'll go down so many rabbit holes if I don't, and I'll be here all day. <laughs> Um, so I'm Abby Tompkins. I'm a member of the media team. I volunteer with the kids, and I'm usually in a bunch of the cracks in between everywhere, most of the time. And I'm here most of the Sundays that I can be, and I make it a priority to be here. Um, that wouldn't have been the same three years ago. Well, five years ago, I was in an abusive household, and I felt like there was really no light in my life. I would wake up and would wonder when this pain would end and when I was able to be a kid. I also wondered why God didn't want me to be loved and why I wasn't worthy to be treated right. I would cry almost daily and I would have bad thoughts just trying to get out of the pain and reality that I was living as a fresh middle schooler going through so much at home. One of my good friends at the time, she, um, she invited me to a church and for once, I kind of felt like there was a getaway. Like, I, my mom wouldn't drive me to school, wouldn't drive me to church. So every Wednesday, even in the um, winter, I'd be walking to church. It was a two blocks away from my house, so I'd be walking there. And it was the best thing for me. Then on January 10th of 2020, I left my home and my life in my school and I remember my life being so chaotic at age 13 and just losing grip on why me. That was my biggest question when I was 13. It was, why me? And to get my mind off of all of the custody agreements, moving schools, and all the stuff that came with, like, abruptly moving an hour away from home, um, I started going to FE Youth every Wednesday, and I came and sat in the adult service every Sunday. And I remember I was sitting there and I was like, I was, I would just intently focus on Candace. Like I would, I was listening to all the words she said. She gave me a notebook. I was writing down notes and I'd go up and I'd show her the notes that I took that week. And um, I could have- She did take good notes. <laughs> they were good. I could have chosen anything to latch on to. Like I could have, I mean, especially at that age, I could have chosen so many things to use to get away from my situation, but I chose to come to church. Like something called me that no matter what was to just come to church. And in those moments, that's what's drawn me closer to God. I'm 16 now and I realize I was made to be here and even though losing a family by blood doesn't mean that God won't give you a family by choice. And not only did I grow spiritually, I grew a family from here as well. I was worth more to God than what others treated me as, and I always will be. 
I will be more than anything that has happened to me. So good. Wasn't that good? I wanted you all to hear a young person's perspective, too. God is working in the youth group. So, Abby, tell us if you could encourage everyone with one thing today. What would that be? Love like God loves towards everyone. Good. Thank you. Natalie, tell us your story. Did Abby turn it off? Flip the switch up. Hello. There oh, it is. Oh, you can hear that. Okay, <laughs> hi guys. Um, so I'm going to read mine too, because mine can also go a hundred different ways. Um, and it's interesting because when I started to write this testimony, it was not because I wanted to be up here at all. Um, but I grew up in a Pentecostal Christian church. Um, my parents were co-pastors. Anybody who met them, they're amazing men and women of God. Um, so I knew God all my life. So I was like, I don't really have a testimony. But once I started writing, I quickly realized I have hundreds. Um, but today I'm just talking about one. So like I said, I grew up in a Pentecostal Christian church. Um, we went to church nine to five on Sundays. It was legit. Um, but there came a point where there was some church hurt and we left the church. I was early in my teens, probably the worst timing, um, because you feel those prayers and blessings lift off of your life in a way that I didn't know could happen. Um, I pretty quickly ended up in a really bad um, physically abusive relationship, and I meant to put a trigger on this story because domestic violence is a trigger, um, so just FYI. So I ended up in a really bad relationship. I left my parents' house because I knew best, because I was a teenager, um, and I ended up in a situation alienated from friends and family to a point where I ended up doing the remainder of my high school days online. Um, this relationship went through all the phases of domestic violence, mental, physical, and sexual abuse. Um, but I stayed because that was love, right? Um, I ended up getting pregnant really young. Um, and I lost that baby at about 25 weeks. And to use the word traumatic doesn't even begin to cover it. Um, that daughter lived for about an hour. And while the doctors weren't able to explain what had happened to me or why it had occurred, I knew because I knew what had happened a couple hours before that. Um, eventually, the doctors told me that my next pregnancy, I'd be high risk. And sure enough, a few years later, I got pregnant. That daughter is sitting in the front row. Um, <laughs> still in the same terrible relationship probably much worse than the earlier years. Um, her biological father actually ended up in prison for most of my pregnancy, blessing in disguise. Um, and through that pregnancy, I was monitored very closely. Um, essentially, my body thought that that was the time to give birth, about um, 25 weeks. So 
Medically speaking, before 25 weeks, there's procedures they can do to kind of keep baby in place, and then afterwards, it's just medication and luck. Um, so with Ari, um, I went through every procedure in the book to keep her to term. It was the worst pregnancy ever. Um, I had shots, I had medicine, I was put on bed rest, I ended up running out of amniotic fluid with her, um, and she ended up coming early, even with all those measures in place, and to top it off, she was a C-section baby. Um, and like I said, her dad was um, in jail for most of my pregnancy, but he was released early so he could be there for her birth. And I remember, um, and she knows this story because I'm very open with her. Um, I remember that night he had left, got drunk, did drugs, and came back. Um, and he took her out of the little crib that they have there, and he was holding her. And I just remember yelling at him to put her back in the crib. And I remember in the moments that followed, I knew that God had more for my life. Um, I grew up in a church, and I knew. Um, so I knew God, and I knew that this wasn't his purpose for me, and it wasn't his purpose for her either. So in the weeks that followed, I packed up everything, and I left. Um, and fast forward... And there enters Fidel, my husband, um, who, for <laughs> who for some crazy reason thought that a single mom and her daughter were a catch. <laughs> and I'm thankful he did, but it didn't come without challenges, for sure. We definitely had our own baggages, and it was a messy cleanup. So Fidel was actually the one that got us back into his church. Um, his brother invited us to FV, and we ended up coming here. We leaned into God during the hardships um, that we were going through, and we sought prayer around these very altars. Fast forward a little bit more, we got married. Fidel adopted Ariana, um, and then came our pregnancy. The right way, married, together, and committed. Still considered high risk, though. And to top it all off, it was COVID. <laughs> he was doing COVID. Um, so early on, again, extra monitoring, uh, to ensure my, baby, my body wouldn't go into labor. And while I was terrified of pregnancy and everything that came with it, we had God. Um, we prayed over our pregnancy. My parents and their entire church prayed, and FE and my home group at that time prayed. And Abby, you were there. Um, so I was surrounded by prayer. And, you know, with those prayers came the power of God. Um, Ezekiel, who's back in nursery, was born two term, not one issue, not one complication. And I was able to have a natural birth, which the statistics of that are really hard too. Um, so God answered all of it. He healed my womb. He gave us a beautiful gift. Um, and he did so during a pandemic where life was crazy. <laughs> um, So I thank God um, all the time for the change in my life, and sometimes I need to remind it of that because it's easy to say my life is hard when it's nothing compared to what it was. Um, 
so while this story is of healing, um, there's a lot more healings than just the pregnancy that came out of it. But I'll wrap it up with, he brought it out, he brought me out of my own Egypt in only a way that he could and worked it all out for his good. So good. So good. Natalie, if there's one thing you could tell everybody, encourage everyone with, what would that be? Um, the power of prayer, really. Um, I think what I've come to learn is, you know, there's people here who, want, who will drop everything they're doing to pray for you. And whether that's a connection card or your home group or a text to a couple friends, there's so much power in that united prayer. And, you know, whatever Egypt you're in, God wants to take you out of that. Yeah, so good. Well, yeah, let's give Natalie a hand. Our next story is also about the power of prayer, right? It's also about the power of prayer, your story. Yeah, so tell us a little about what you guys went through. Okay, actually, this is, we're in our time frame of, like, our one-year anniversary, but my husband here um, got really sick uh, last year at the beginning of October. Uh, He got COVID. Now, mind you, we have 10 kids and four grandbabies, so we have a house full, and he never gets sick. The kids can come home from school. I'm always the one that gets it. All the kids in the house get it. He never gets sick. Um... He got COVID, and it, um, it knocked him down flat. So within nine days, he was admitted to Gettysburg Hospital. Uh, when he went in the hospital, uh, I was still talking to him through FaceTime. Didn't realize how serious it was to, like, now, because he doesn't even remember talking to me half the time. Um, he was transferred then to the CCU in Gettysburg because his oxygen kept dropping, and they take him from regular oxygen to high-flow oxygen, Transferred him to the CCU. Um, I had told them if they had to vent him, uh, something just kept telling me. Now, mind you, before all this, like, I believed in God and, and everything else, but we didn't, um, we prayed, but we didn't make it a point, like, all the time. So if at dinner, it's a busy household. If you got to pray, you got to pray. If you didn't, you didn't. So we didn't make that priority. Um, so through all this, I was praying a lot. Doctors were calling me. Everything just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Nothing was getting better. Uh, I said, if you have to vent him, I want him transferred. Something just kept telling me. I had like, this little person sitting on my shoulder saying, if he needs vented, you need to transfer him. You need to speak for him. He can't speak for himself. So I told them, and they knew when they called me, but they called me early morning. Then at the end of October, saying they needed to vent him. I wanted to speak to him. I couldn't speak to him. They said he was delusional. Um, so they vented him, and they didn't have a bed in York Hospital for him. They're like, I know you want him transferred, but we cannot transfer him right now. I said, okay, so I prayed on it, and I prayed on it, and I prayed on it. I'm like, please, we've got to get him a bed in York. And there was a very nice nurse in there. She's like, I know you're not allowed to have, vis- not allowed to have visitors in here, but you guys have an exceptional story. She said, I'm going to see if I can move up the line and get you a visit before we can try and get him transferred. So she got me a visit, and I went in, and I read the Bible to him, and I prayed with him, even though he was sedated, completely on a, on a vent. And she told me when I got in there that she's like, I got good news for you. She said, York Hospital, out of 70 beds, had three beds open, and he's going to get one of them, and they actually called for him. 
So she said, he's getting transferred today. So he was a prime candidate for ECMO, and I don't know if you guys know what ECMO is, but it's basically an artificial lung that sits outside the body and does all the work. It takes, you have a cannula in your neck and a cannula in your groin, takes the blood out of one, runs it through an artificial lung, puts oxygen back in your blood, takes the carbon dioxide out of your blood, and then puts it back in your body clean. So that he was a candidate for that. When he first got there um, that night, they said that they wanted to see if he could do it on his own on the vent. I said, great, because if they added ECMO, it just gave his, it just lowered his risk of survival, basically, um, because they didn't know how, if that was going to work or not, and you have more risk of infection. So they, that was at like 10.30 that night. Then they called, they were calling me by 8.30 in the morning saying that they had to do ECMO, and if they, if I declined it, that my chances of his survival were going to be very slim to none. So I said, well, then there's, you know, no rhyme or reason. You're just going to do it. So just do it. So they did it. Um, and things just kept progressively getting worse. We come up a little bit, but it's sort of like that. You take one step forward. You take two steps back. Um, and over about a week's time, he just progressively uh, kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And then one night at like 11.30, somewhere between 11.30 and midnight, they called me and said that uh, my husband had coded, and this was the second time he coded, um, and they did not know if he was going to make it through the night that I could get a one-time visit and I could come visit him. So I went to York and I visited him and um, I had sat beside his bed. He had so many machines and so many everything in the room that I couldn't even like get to his head if I tried, but I could at least get to his hand. Um, so I held his hand. I literally read the Bible. I prayed over him for three hours. Um, and I, when I got there, like I honestly threw out a lot of this. I'll be straight up. Like I lost hope numerous times. Um, and when I got there that night, like, just to visually, like, I FaceTimed him every day, twice a day. I literally read him the New Testament twice, front to back. I read to him so much while he was sedated. Um, but when I got there, um, there was so much just, like, blood from him coding and them doing CPR. And, um, like, his urine bag was completely full of nothing but blood. There was no other color to it. Like, you really start to lose hope when you see things like that. Like, how are you going to bounce back from all of this? But I still, there was lots of times when I did. Um, I had to really depend on my faith. And I also seen things a lot of times that I say, um, when I kept the Christian station, you know, my TV 24-7 through all this. So at night, all the, during the day, if I had to leave the house for the kids, it was still on. Because that was my peace when I walked in the door when I left, when I came home. Um, but there was a saying, and I'm pretty sure it might even been by Joyce Meyer, but there was a saying that kept coming up on my television uh, that said, never love anything more than you love the Lord or it can be taken from you. And that saying really like, cause I love this man with my whole heart. And basically instead of putting God first, I was putting him first. Um, so that same was just like kept constantly popping up the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, you know, I need to get it together. I need to prioritize. I need to put God first, then my family. 
that was really hard to do. It was sort of like having to surrender something that I wasn't prepared to do, but it was sort of felt like it was being forced to do. But there was numerous times where I had to be very, very vulnerable. Um, and the, after he had coded, um, within a week, um, we were actually talking to Candace. And because a friend of mine says, we need to do a prayer visual because, you know, we're, more than, we're a group of people gather more than one. God's present. I said, okay, let's do it. But I don't think I'm capable of getting it together at this point. She said, I'll work on it. And we did it together. And she talked to Candace, too. And she said, well, what if we go to, like, the church parking lot? We can at least do it there. And I said, that's great. But it was cold. You know, you're talking October, November, and December last year. It was a little cold. So she's like, well, people are going to be cold. I'm like, we won't make it long. But then we decided, we called, she called Candace. And Candace's like, you guys can use the inside of the church. I'm like, amazing. So we came here and we did a prayer visual um, just a, within, like, a, within the week of him coding and uh, now, mind you, he's sedated, completely sedated. All of our kids are in this front row right here. He's probably got half to three quarters of this church with people in it, and I don't even know who half the people are. It was just a thing we put up on Facebook quick. Like, people came out of the woodwork for this man. And we did this prayer visual. But as soon as Candace stepped up and started talking, I had, I had the nurses call me and put him on FaceTime so he could hear everything that was going on and all the prayers for him. And as soon as Candace took the mic and started talking, and my son was sitting beside me, um, he opened his eyes, being completely sedated. And at first, I was like, oh my goodness, I think he just opened his eyes. And I'm like, I'm seeing things. You know, she just started talking. She just starts praying. He opens his eyes. And then my son was like, no, mom, he just did it again. You're not seeing things. So... He doesn't realize it, but, you know, in the moment, she's praying for him. We're all here to pray for him. I am not one to speak in front of people. I don't talk in front of people. You're doing I am great. up here, like. <laughs> You're doing great. You're on a roll. I am up here, um, I, and I'm not one to pray in front of people because I've never been a big person to pray out loud. I would always pray to myself. So through all of this, like, this is growing. Everything is growing. Like, I'm learning how to speak to God out loud. Everything. So I'm up here, I'm in front of all these people, and especially as people you know, like you know half the people, you don't know half the people, but they all know your husband, like you're like, you just, you just, I just got to a point that didn't even care. I was like, I don't care, it's all about God, he's number one, it doesn't matter what people are going to think of me. So I was up here, and I just prayed my whole heart out in front of everybody, and I dropped to my knees right here at this stage, and I just prayed so hard for God to give him back to me and my kids. And I felt different when I left here that night because when I came here and people are hugging you and praying with you, it makes you feel like, um, like a funeral because that's what it was feeling like to me. It wasn't feeling like a prayer visual. It was feeling like a funeral. So I had to pray and get out of that. And then from there on, things started getting easier um, he did start coming out of some things. We still had a lot of setbacks. He went through a lot of fighting infections. He had like seven blood transfusions. Um, and God love Candace and Greta especially. She was my rock through all this. And um, he ended up, um, he, he woke up, 
he remembered. <laughs> he they took him off ECMO. Actually, they told me I was up allowed for a one-time visit. And when I got up there, they had the curtains pulled to the room and everything else. And I'm like, this was like the end of December. It was sort of like a Christmas visit or like the two, like a week or two before Christmas visit. And she's like, you can come visit him. And I got up there. They had the curtains pulled. Well, instantly you're like, you start to worry. And, you know, they're like, you're, you have to stand over there and wait. They'll be with you, you know, a little bit. And the nurse came and she got me. And she's like, I didn't expect you to be here. I only needed 10 more minutes. She's like, but I just wanted to surprise you that your husband got removed from ECMO this morning. Praise God. <sighs> now, mind you, they tried to take him off of that before, and they had, to, they had to turn the machine back on because he couldn't do it on his own. So that was amazing. I knew we were making progress, but we still had the ventilator, so I knew we weren't out of the water yet. But um, time progressed really fast. Like, he was on ECMO and a ventilator for six weeks, um, completely sedated. So he... Um, he remembers seeing on TV, I think it was nine more shopping days till Christmas. It's the first thing he remembered on TV when he woke up. And he's like, holy cow, I miss Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so he did, he missed it all, but he, um, he only went through therapy for about a month, about four weeks total of therapy after being um, laying that long in a bed. And they did not expect him to walk or come off oxygen or um, breathe on his own, do all that stuff so fast. Um, but he actually, um, he remembered the nine more shopping days till Christmas. He was actually home by January the 15th. And he was um, walking. He was without oxygen. Um, and he was still progressing and getting um, healthier and healthier. And he ended up being uh, back to work by, what was it? April 1st, he was back to work. Um, so it was a huge blessing. You're good. <laughs> He's not one to talk in front of people. So, yeah, and for your question of what I would say for people, never lose hope. Like, that was my biggest thing. And so many times I remember saying to myself, not today, Satan, not today. It's not happening. You're not getting the best of me. God is going to pull him through this. And there was many times I hit my knees in my house, like, out back. I had to hide it from my kids. I mean, I didn't want to be crying all the time in front of my kids, so I'd go out back. They'd call me with bad news. I was outside. I was on my knees. I've never been that vulnerable to anybody. And I would, and I would fight with God. So by all means, too, don't be afraid to be like, why are you doing this to me? Don't feel like that you um, have to fear because you don't. He will answer all of those questions if you open your heart and listen, I promise. So good. So good. I just have one more question for you. I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but you were telling me just a little last week about what's changed in your family's faith. Can you talk about that at all since then? Well, I know uh, my daughter, Alexa, 
I can't say this. You know that. <sighs> I'm sorry, baby. Um, through all this, um, I would even say for all of my kids, it grew their faith. They've seen a total change in me. They've seen a change in our household. Uh, but my 12-year-old daughter uh, went to walk up the steps one night to go to bed through all this. And she said, she turned around. She made like four steps up. I said, good, I was telling her good night. And she said, Mom, I'm starting to lose my faith in God because he's not healing Daddy and not bringing him up. And I just told her, I said, baby, you can't do that to me right now. Like, this is when we have to remain strongest as a unit. And whenever you feel like you're going to lose, you feel like you're losing your faith, you need to pray harder. Just pray harder. And he brought her through that. But it was a test of faith for all of us. So whether, even though you're going through stuff, like your kids might be little, but they're going through it too. And they see what you're doing. They live by example. So... There's no denying it now, Faith, right? No. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Thank you, guys. Let's give these three, four a hand. You guys may go ahead and have a seat. Such amazing stories. And I forgot to say, Kim and, and Bubba brought in pictures from during that time. I'm just going to leave these up here, maybe at the... the front of the stage when we're done we can look through those because it's just such a testament to him sitting here today so healthy just amazing so after hearing all those stories does this change anything for you and I want you to think about it I mean these aren't people far away at some other church you know we hear stories sometimes like on other continents what God's doing in Africa these are people you know or have the potential to know (laughs) to see every week in church uh, people, (sighs) neighbors, friends, right? God is doing amazing things in their lives. Why can't he do them for you, right? Whether you're believing for deliverance or healing or financial breakthrough or salvation for a family member, let's start praying and believing God for it. He can do, I mean, we can take ground spiritually together as a church by praying over each other, preaching the gospel. Every single one of these people up here today were preaching and telling their own stories is so powerful, taking back what the enemy has stolen, right? God wants to restore your relationships. He wants to restore your finances. He wants to restore your health. Revelation 12, 10 call Satan the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. The context of this verse describes this cosmic battle between Satan and heaven where the believers are victorious in the end and it describes how they overcome. Right? Do we have Revelation 12, 11? And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. I've been saying this this whole series, but this is how we take ground. Right? We pray and we preach. We tell our stories. We become witnesses to what we have seen and heard and experienced from God firsthand. 
This is the best way to show thanks to God, by the way, on this week of Thanksgiving, right? What he has done in your life. Don't just thank him for what he's done in your life, but celebrate it. Tell somebody. Don't hold it all to yourself, right? This is how we shine our light for Jesus as we tell people what God has done. It's the best way to thank him. He is the healer, the deliverer, the comforter, the provider. We have a part to play in it, absolutely, but he is faithful. When we're faithful, he is faithful. Amen? Today, the response for each of us is to just start praying, right? Come get prayer from other people. We always have people down here at the end of services ready to pray over you, partner with someone in prayer or... or you know, find one of these guys, uh, one of their testimonies that resonated with you. They all believe in the power of prayer because of what they've been through. And they have a special anointing because of what they've been through to pray over you. Find one of them. Ask for prayer for what's going on in your own life. Or ask one of us pastors for prayer on the way out. Fill out a connection card. Write down your prayer request. Whatever, whatever step of faith you need to take today, take it. Ask God for the things that you need. I believe he has a breakthrough for you. He does hear our prayers. He is a miracle-working God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives. Thank you for working miracles within us. Father, we ask you for more and more of it, that this church would be filled to the brim with preachers people who can go out there and tell their stories, uh, declare who you are and what you've done in their lives. And Father, that we would just see more and more people flooding the doors of the church hungry, hungry for salvation, for deliverance, for healing. That my prayer over us as a church would that, is that we would be bold and declaring who you are. Even as the world seems to get darker and darker sometimes, that our light would shine brighter and brighter, that we wouldn't be ashamed of what you are, who you are, and what you're doing in our lives, that we would proclaim it louder, bolder, with more love than ever before. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask a simple question today. And it's for anyone that maybe t before they came in today felt like they didn't have faith, if they didn't believe in Jesus. Maybe you were dragged along uh, to hear a story or just to support someone on stage or to see a child dedication or whatever it was brought you in the doors today. But you, you came in with no faith and today you feel like, you know what, I, I need to do this. I need to step over that line. I need to give my life to Jesus. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him for forgiveness for you and watch what he's going to do. He wants to set you free today. He wants to give your life a purpose, give you hope for the future, give you peace and freedom like you've never felt before, like every single one of these guys talked about today. If that's you today and you're in the room, you want to make that decision, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Raise it nice and high. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm in. I'm in. Anybody like that here today? If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. Just keep that hand raised for a moment and Usher's going to give you a little card, help you with some next steps. Anybody else like that here today? 
I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want to give you one more opportunity. Okay. For the rest of us today, if you are believing God for something, healing, deliverance, um, financial breakthrough, whatever it is you're believing God for, would you just raise your hand? I'm believing God for something. I'm asking him for something today. Father, we ask you for every single hand raised. We ask that you would be with them today, that they leave here with a renewed sense of faith for whatever it is that they're believing for. They come to you with a heart of submission and humility, ready to lay down whatever it is they've been holding back. Uh, maybe they, they found a new piece of submission that they, they've been holding back today. God, I just pray that you give us the courage to give everything give everything to you, to trust you with everything that we are, everything that we have. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with me? On this week of Thanksgiving, I just want to encourage you, thank God for the things that he's done this week. Declare them, go and share that message with the world. Will you do that with me this week? Yes? All right. I hope that you all have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember to give somebody that was up here today a high five or a hug because it's tougher than it looks, <laughs> right? Thank them for sharing that with us today. Can we just give them one more hand for doing that? So brave. So amazing. Well, thank you all. I know I kept you forever. I want to speak just one more blessing on you today. Father, thank you so much for every single person here. Bless them as they go. Send us out into the world bold and brave and witnesses for you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. Happy Thanksgiving this week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.